today on Summit Life with J.D. Greer. God's holiness, which means separation, was most greatly demonstrated, not in his separation from us, but his entering into our pain and absorbing it and conquering it. So Peter says, in response to God's holiness, you should be holy in all of your conduct. The life you live should be reflective of the God that you love. Welcome to Summit Life with pastor and author J.D. Greer. I'm your host, Molly Vitovich. So when a soldier is in an active war zone, they're not going to be staring off into the clouds and daydreaming. They need to be on high alert, every thought focused on the battle at hand. No distractions, no personal agenda. But did you know that as Christians, we are constantly engaged in spiritual warfare? How much more important is it that we pay attention to the spiritual conflict around us? follow our spiritual orders. We need to train our minds for the battlefield, but how do we do that? Well, today, Pastor J.D. shows us straight from Scripture as he continues our teaching series in the book of 1 Peter called I Am an Alien. He called this message Battlefront. So are you ready? Here's Pastor J.D. When you realize that you're not from a country, you can take one of several postures, right? One posture is that of an immigrant. An immigrant is somebody who's not from a country, but they have you know, tried to become a citizen of that country, right? It's not their original country, but this is where their new citizenship is, and, and, and that's where they're going to make their home. A lot of Christians are doing that with the world. It's, they understand kind of theologically that they're born from above and they're a citizen of heaven, but for all practical purposes, this is where they've made their home. That's why they're always, you know, thinking about how life is going down here. That's why they're leveraging their resources and their talents and their money to make a comfortable life down here. It's why they're always worried about what everybody's saying about them down here. They're worried about how things are going to turn out for them down here, what they're going to miss out on down here. And so they have bucket lists and they're worried about things that they're not going to get to do. That is a a wrong conception. He's saying, no, no, you're not a citizen here. You're not an immigrant, right? That's, That's one kind of wrong category. Here's another one, that of tourist. People think, well, okay, well, you know, a lot of Christians are like, I get the idea that I'm not, you know, from here. And so, well, what's a tourist do when he's in a new country? You just kind of pass through it, right? You ever go on with a tourist group to a foreign country? You, you kind of stay in your group. You, you speak your language. You stay in your hotels. You eat at your restaurants. You complain that there's not a Starbucks and, and all kinds of stuff because you, you don't really engage with that culture that much. You kind of observe it at a distance. And that's the, the attitude that a lot of Christians have toward the world. They're tourists. Right, so they never really get engaged in the world. They kind of stay sequestered in a Christian ghetto. You're like, you know what? Yeah, I'm just passing through. Me and Kirk Cameron are gonna get raptured off this trailer park of a planet anyway, so I never really engage. Now, that's a lot of believers, but that's wrong too. There's a third category, the one that Peter's talking about, and that is the category of exile. Exile, you're not really trying to become an immigrant. You also realize that you're not a tourist. So you realize that you are appointed here with a mission, you're stationed here, and that means that that begins to form how you engage with the world around you. This concept actually has a very rich history in the Bible. You see, Israel for a time was exiles. And God gave them very specific instructions about how they were to live in the area that they were exiles. Let me give you this. It's Jeremiah chapter 29. Look at this. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Here's how you're supposed to live. Look, build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. 
Verse seven, seek the welfare of the city where I've sent you to exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf for in its welfare, you will find your welfare. He's saying, you're gonna be stationed in this place and you got a mission for this place. You pray for their blessing. You get involved in their problems and their lives because you are appointed there. See, that's not immigrant, it's not tourist, it's something different. In chapter two, Peter's gonna use the concept of ambassador. Ambassador is somebody who's sent from one country with a mission for another country. So he or she makes his home in that country, but he's really there on the business of a different country, but they're very engaged in the affairs of this country that they are now stationed in. See, that is crucial in order to get anything else that Peter is saying. You're an ambassador, you're an exile. Because, he says, you're an exile, there are a few things that you should expect. You should expect, first of all, that you're in a very hostile environment, you're in a place that does not understand you, you're in a place that is in many ways going the opposite direction of the way that you're going. So he says, verse 13, this is where we're gonna pick up, chapter one, verse 13, because that's where we left off last time. Therefore, he says, therefore what? Therefore, because you're an exile, an alien, therefore preparing your minds for action, right? And be, look at the next phrase, be sober-minded. Sober-minded means you're not naively unaware of the environment you're in. You are in a hostile environment. You are engaged in a cosmic battle. You ought to be aware of that. First Peter chapter five, a few chapters later, he's gonna use that same word, sober-minded. He's gonna say, be sober-minded because you got an adversary who walks around like a roaring lion, Satan, seeking to devour you. Now, if you knew that there was a lion at loose and you were walking around and you knew that it had access to you, that changes the perspective that you have as you walk around, right? If you, just, if you heard that there was a lion walking around in our parking lot as you walk to your car, that just changes the mentality, right? If you know that at any point that something's about to jump out and attack you, you walk soberly. You walk aware. What Peter is telling them, listen, first off, and this is something I think some of you desperately need to hear, you need to wake up because you are in a battle. And some of you have absolutely no idea of that, and the enemy is absolutely destroying you. You are not sober-minded. You are just not. You're living in this fairy tale world. One of my favorite authors, Blaise Pascal, said the greatest thing that we need to happen is we need just to be awakened to reality. He said, for most people, life is like they're, they're riding in a, in a horse and buggy, and, and they're barreling toward a cliff, a cliff that is you know, like a hundred feet, you know, you'd fall a hundred feet if you go over it. He said, he said, that cliff represents your death. We all know we're headed there. All of us, don't we? He said, so what do we do? We just kind of distract ourselves from the fact that it's going to happen. And we, you know, get engaged with the scenery and in conversation, just ignorant, willfully ignorant of the fact that that cliff is on its way. I don't mean to be overly morbid with you, but you understand that you were going to die. Your children one day were going to die and eternity is real, heaven is real, hell is real, and there is a real enemy who is after you to sabotage your faith and destroy your soul. And some of you need to wake up. You just need to wake up because this is not a game that we are in. You gird up the loins of your mind and be sober-minded. And he says, verse 14, look at this. Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. Here we go, verse 15. But as he who called you is holy, as he who called you is holy, you also should be holy in your conduct, since it is written in Leviticus, you shall be holy, because I am holy. All right, let's stop there. That's a pretty big commandment, isn't it? Be holy, 
like God is holy. So let's talk about that. First of all, here's what I want to do for the rest of our time, basically. I want to talk to you about what holiness is, and then I want to talk to you about what Peter says our response to that should be, and then finally, I'm going to talk to you about how it is that you can obey that command to be holy, okay? So first of all, here's what holiness is. The key word to remember when you think about holiness is the word separation. The word in Hebrew that we translate as holy is the word chadosh. I don't know much Hebrew, but I love pronouncing the words that I do know. Chadosh. Didn't that sound like a fun word to say? In fact, you want to say it, don't you? I'll let you. Chadosh. Say it. If the person in front of you is not wiping stuff off the back of their head, you didn't say it right. Chadosh. Say it. Chadosh. It means literally separated or cut away from. In Greek, the word is hagios. Hagios, which means, again, separated or to be removed from. When God told the Israelites that he was holy, what he meant was that he was different from them. He was separated from them. He was unique. He was one of a kind. Example, Exodus 15, verse 11. There is none holy like the Lord. Nobody. He's completely separate. He's completely other. By the way, if your name is Michael, Michael, that, your name comes from that verse right there. That verse in Hebrew is Michael, none holy like the Lord. Michael. There's nobody like God. You are completely different, separated. Not you, Michael, but you, God. Um, you, if you study the Old Testament, you're going to see that when Israel got in trouble, it's when they forgot the otherness of God. It's because they started to think about God casually, like God was just a slightly higher version of themselves, a little more powerful, a little smarter. But the message of the Bible is he is not just a little smarter than you. He's not just a little different. He is completely different. He is the uncreated. Everything else had a beginning. Everything we look at had a beginning. Everything goes back to a cause. God is the one great uncaused cause. He never had a beginning. He never had an end. He is the alpha. He is the omega. And that ought to inform how you approach him on various issues. I'll give you a good example. Job. Job. Here's Job. Job's got, a, a, Job's got an argument against God. 38 chapters of the book of Job, he just rails against God. God, I don't understand what you're doing. God, this doesn't make any sense to me. God, I want some answers. God shows up in chapter 38 and gives Job a four-chapter answer, which I can basically summarize like this. Um, excuse me, Job, who, who are you? And what universe have you created? I tell you what, Job, when you create your own universe, then you come back and we'll talk. But until you created your own universe, you and I are not peers. And I don't mind answering your questions, Joe, but you need to understand that I'm in an altogether different category than you. And the fact that you demand that I explain myself to you, when you create your universe, you come back and we'll talk. In fact, the fact that you think you could understand me if I explain myself to you is flattering yourself in a way that is absolutely ridiculous. Isaiah 55, verse 8 and 9, because my ways are not your ways. My thoughts are not your thoughts. As the heavens are higher than the earth, that's how much higher my thoughts are than your thoughts. And I would just tell a few of you, because some of you, I know, have these questions that you have against God, and God's not against questions, and you are free to ask them, but I will tell you this, you ought to approach God with an understanding that he is holy, that he is different. And there are some things about God that your little, piddly little brain, even the smartest of you in here, your piddly little brain might not be able to grasp yet. And I'm just saying, I'm, saying, I'm not saying there's no answers for it. I'm just saying you, it changes how you approach God. There is a time when the mouth stops and the knee bows. I'm not talking about being gullible. I'm not talking about naively just swallowing everything you're told. What I am telling you is 
You're approaching God as the one great uncreated one, the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. And that means a certain amount of reverence as you approach him. And when you say, this is God, it changes your disposition toward him. You're listening to Summit Life with J.D. Greer. For more information and free resources, please visit jdgreer.com. And while you're there, I want to remind you about a valuable resource that's available to you. It's the Ask Me Anything podcast with Pastor J.D. Greer. Each week, Pastor J.D. answers your toughest questions on topics ranging from theology and biblical interpretation to practical questions on the Christian life. With new episodes dropping every Monday, this podcast is a great way to deepen your understanding of the Christian faith and get quick answers to real questions. You can access the Ask Me Anything podcast by visiting jdgreer.com slash podcasts or subscribe on your favorite podcast app. And don't forget our entire teaching library is also available free of charge on our website. So visit today. It's all thanks to the generosity of our Summit Life family. So thank you. Now let's get back to today's teaching with Pastor J.D. Greer here on Summit Life. Holiness also means separated from all that is impure. Jewish people had all these regulations to keep them from entering the presence of God with any defilement. Because God was absolute purity. He was separated from impurity. Totally perfect. Now, holiness is not an attractive concept to most Americans. When I say holiness, most of you think of some kind of boring, sterile, you know, some bright, white, colorless light. But holiness is the perfection of all that is good. In fact, think of it as wholeness, which is where we get the English word from. Wholeness, God is the whole perfectness of goodness. He is wholeness in justice. He is holy, perfect love. Now, when you think about it that way, we are all, all attracted to that, aren't we? God is so holy. He is so full of beauty, so full of perfection and justice and kindness that he is separated from all impurity. And in fact, Habakkuk one thirteen says he's so pure that he can't even look. Habakkuk one thirteen, you are of such holy eyes that you cannot even look at evil. Now, that doesn't mean that we who are evil are invisible to God. What it means is he can't gaze on it. You're kind of the same way if you think about it. Think about something that is morally repulsive to you. I mean, something that just is disgusting. For example, imagine that you were forced to watch an act of child molestation. How You couldn't even look at it. It's repulsive. Or here's a different one. Um, not as repulsive, but abhorrent nonetheless. Um, like some of you, when you watch that movie, The Help, remember that? And you're like, ah, oh, I just can't watch that kind of arrogance and racism. It's repulsive. God, who is perfect beauty, perfect justice, cannot keep his eyes upon the impurity and justice of sin. That's why God told them, you put a boundary around there because if they break through this boundary and they look in my face, they will die. They will die. Because I just have such beauty that I cannot look at injustice. God is holy separate from impurity, which brings me to probably the most magnificent thing about God's holiness, and that is that God's holiness was most manifested in Jesus. Get this. When Jesus came to earth, who was God's holy son, his holiness, walking around in the midst of sinful, diseased people, his holiness did not destroy us. His holiness healed us. This is one of the great enigmas of the Bible, right? It's just confusing because here is Jesus perfectly holy, and you see scenes like this one. Look at this, Matthew chapter eight. Jesus came down from the mountain 
a leper. Now, in those days, leprosy is bad today, but in those days, it was an incurable disease. And if you touched a leper, then you would get their leprosy. A leper came down to him and knelt before him saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. Now, you know that when somebody who is clean touches somebody who is unclean, somebody who is healthy touches somebody who is sick, it's not that, that you know, it's usually the clean that becomes unclean or the well that becomes sick, right? My wife right now has a cold. So when I get in bed at night with her, there's no chance that my awesome wellness is just going to bleed off onto her and make her, her you know, her, she's unclean. I, mean, I don't think she's here today, so I can get away with this. Um, or maybe she is here. There, she's right over there. Um, so my, my, her uncleanness, her disease, her, it actually has a chance of getting on me because when the clean is with the unclean or when the well is with the sick, then it's, it goes that way. But here's Jesus who is the perfectly clean, the perfectly well, stretched out his hand and touches him saying, I will, I can be clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. How did that happen with one who is holy? Here's what's awesome, listen to this. Jesus was not only holy in his purity, he was holy in his love and in his power. So his holy, get this, his holy love absorbed our unholiness and suffered our death and his holy power conquered it by rising from the dead. Jesus was holy, perfect in his purity, but he was also holy, perfect in his love and his power. So his purity cannot look at sin without dying, without the person dying. So Jesus absorbed in his holy love our impurity into himself, died in our place, and conquered it by rising from the dead. That's because he's holy not just in purity, but also in love and power. That's a pretty awesome thought. The greatest display of God's holiness was not in his separating himself from us, but in his entering into our sin and corruption and taking it upon himself and putting it away forever. God's holiness, which means separation, was great, most greatly demonstrated. Not in his separation from us, but his entering into our pain and absorbing it and conquering it. So Peter says, in response to God's holiness, you should be holy as he who called you, verse 15, is holy. You also should be holy in all of your conduct. The life you live should be reflective of the God that you love. So let's talk about a few ways that that should be true. All right, first of all, it ought to be true in our devotion to God. I often hear people talk about God as if what God wanted from us is God wanted merely to be top of our list of priorities. God gets his own list. I'll give you an example. My wife, if I approached her and I said, baby, I just want you to know this. I love you so much. Of all the girls that I know, you're number one. Now, what does that mean? Does that mean that I'm sort of in love with, kind of attracted to, sort of committed to a whole bunch of girls, but none as much as her? No, she gets her own list. She's not number one. She's the only one on that list. She is the sole member of that list. God does not merely want to be number one on your list of priority. You're like, God's at the top of my list. What list? He gets his own list. Nothing else in your life created the universe. Nothing died for your sins. Jesus is not your co-pilot. He created the plane itself that you're in. 
He, he, he created the air that it's flying in and the, the law of gravity that it has to defy to stay in the air. He created all of that. He's not your BFF. He's not your homeboy. He's holy, which means that our devotion to him is of an entirely different kind in everything, everything else. Marriage, parenting, or even most intimate commitments ought to pale in comparison to our devotion to him because he's holy. And our adoration of him, that's another thing. How we adore God should be on an entirely different plane because he's holy. I hear people sometimes compare or worship to like, you know, how we act at a football game or a basketball game. And I certainly appreciate that sentiment. But I'm telling you that our worship of God ought to be on an entirely different level than everything else. Entirely. In fact, if you let me be your pastor here for a minute, I get really disturbed sometimes watching some of you worship. And I know that's going to make you all self-conscious, and then you'll be like, oh, is he looking at me now in worship? Okay, don't think like that. It just disturbs me because I'm like, is there any way they could actually understand the God they think they're worshiping? Or do they understand the commands that God has given them about worship? A couple of years ago, I, I did actually a, a study. I taught you about the different postures that God tells us in worship. I, I ought to do that again, I think. But there's just you know, all these commands in Scripture. Psalm 47.1, clap your hands, all you people. Shout unto God with a voice of triumph. Psalm 35, 27, that may those who delight in salvation shout for joy unto God. 1 Timothy 2, 8, I command all men everywhere to lift up holy hands in prayer. These are commands. Let's go back to English class for a minute, all right? Clap your hands, all you people, shout unto God with a voice of triumph. What kind of sentence is that? Starts with mm, rhymes imperative. Imperative. It's a command. It's a command. You're like, oh, well, it's just not, that's just not my personality. Did you see anything there about personality? Did it say, clap your hands, all you type A, aggressive, extroverted people? <laughs> no. Yo, listen, I have studied all these commands of scripture in worship. I've read the Bible all these, uh, through in three different languages, okay? Not one time does it ever say, stand before God with a subdued posture, a bored look on your face, and a cup of coffee in your hand. Not one time does it ever say, it says, clap your hands, shout unto God with a voice of triumph. I command you to lift holy hands. You're like, well, it's just not about personality. It's not about your personality. It's about the commands of God. The holiness of God deserves our worship and with everything that we have. Today's message was titled Battlefront, and this is Summit Life with J.D. Greer. In case you joined us a little late, you can hear today's teaching again, free of charge, at jdgreer.com. So, J.D., one of our main goals at Summit Life is for every believer to know that they are called to be on mission and live every day with that in mind. And that might not look the same for everyone, but what is the very first step that we can take in that direction? Yeah, it's a great question, Molly. The first thing is just to recognize that that is part of why God saved you. Right. It's like we sometimes say, becoming a Christian is a little bit like being pulled into a spiritual tornado. God only draws you in in order to, to send you back out. Yeah, yeah. He's got a purpose for saving you. And that purpose is not just to put you, you know, on the sanctified shelf. It's to commission you and send you into service. Gotcha. So we want to help you do that here. We want to help you discover the 
unique ways that God has made you, uh, the gifts that he's given to you, and how he wants to use those in his kingdom. Now, there's a great tool that we're providing um, along with this series that will help you discover that. It's called Sent, Living a Life That Invites Others to Jesus. That's a look not only at the scriptures, but also at you, um, at your own makeup, your history, the opportunities in front of you, and it just helps you consider the ways that God is sending you into his service. Providing a resource like this is just a way of, of us saying thank you to you for your ongoing support. And so um, reach out to us at jdgreer.com and, and we'll show you how to get, get a hold of this resource and, and start that start that relationship with you. We'll send you a copy of Heather and Ashley Holloman's book called Scent, Living a Life That Invites Others to Jesus with your financial gift of $35 or more to this ministry. We've seen God do some really incredible things through our Summit Life broadcasts and the gospel-focused resources we provide, but nothing we do would be possible without the generous support of listeners just like you. You can give us a call right now to help fuel the work that God is doing through this ministry around the world. Just call us at 866-335-5220, or you can always give online at jdgreer.com. I'm Molly Vitovich. We're so glad to have you with us today. Be sure to listen tomorrow as we conclude this teaching called Battlefront. That's Wednesday on Summit Life with J.D. Greer. Today's program was produced and sponsored by J.D. Greer Ministries.